0: Welcome back to the Life Support Podcast. Thanks for listening. This week, we talk with Sabrina and Tyler about pharmacy and how everything I thought about pharmacy was wrong, including the fact that they can actually escape from behind the glass at Walgreens. Before we get started, just a quick reminder to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Hey, Sabrina. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for talking with us today. Could you just start off with an introduction? So we like to include name, pronoun, where you're from, what you do when you're not working first, and then what you do when you are working.
1: Yeah. Hey, I'm Sabrina Sherwood. I'm a clinical pharmacist in Boise, Idaho. I work at the Cystic Fibrosis Center of Idaho um, here really close to to downtown St. Luke's. And um, in my free time, I love to go hiking, uh, spend a lot of time in the foothills and up in Stanley, Idaho.
2: And my name is Tyler Hemsley. I'm a pharmacist by training as well. Um, I've spent most of my career working for St. Luke's Health System uh, here in Boise and in Twin Falls. Um, and then recently I've uh, transitioned over to Cornerstone, a whole healthcare organization. So I'm part of CIHU. who currently work as the the COO over pharmacy and healthcare innovation. And so we're doing a lot of exciting things with pharmacy integration and uh, collaborations with behavioral health and um, team-based care, and we get to dabble in a lot of very cool projects um, with Sihu. So that's been that's been really rewarding. Outside of work, I like staying active. We do uh, a lot with the family, um, just kind of getting out and getting into the. Um, getting into nature, going on walks, things like that. Uh, I'm a huge muscle car fan. And so I have some projects and and things on the side with um, some automotive interests as well. That's me.
1: Very cool. Very
0: cool. Well, thank you guys again for joining. And um, I heard you say some words that I wouldn't necessarily associate with pharmacy because I think when most people think pharmacist, um, I think that the general population thinks of the person really in the white coat behind the glass at Walgreens. Can you tell me I'm wrong and why I'm wrong?
2: Yeah, I would say that you have two good examples of not the white coat behind the glass. (laughs) One of the things that has happened over the last 30 years, I guess, in the pharmacy profession is there's been a really significant evolution from kind of that uh, mom and pop soda shop, right? Where you have the the soda fountain and the pharmacist is behind the counter and, you know, kind of compounding, you know, powders and packets and pills and things like that. And over the last 20 or 30 years, we've really seen a significant shift in both the education, as well as the role and responsibility that pharmacists have. Um, and that has evolved not only in the context of clinical pharmacy, but also in the context of what community pharmacies, um, and community pharmacists can do. Um, from these locations in the in the community, with the strong ties that they have with with their patients and population. So, and not to mention everything that goes on in the hospital, as far as really kind of specialized intensive care or cardiology telemetry. There's a lot of pharmacists that work in in pretty specialized units in the hospital. Um, but that's a very broad sweep. And then, Sabrina, I maybe put you on the spot to dive into a bit more detail.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a great question because I get questions about pharmacy multiple times a month. Um, And, you know, it's funny, every time I see a patient in the cystic fibrosis clinic, it takes a few interactions for them to fully understand what we're doing here in clinic, right? Because they're used to seeing that face behind the counter at Walgreens. Um, And so it is really interesting, like Tyler mentioned, the evolution of pharmacy. And I think teams are starting to see, you know, that includes providers, other staff members, um, They're seeing that pharmacy can be this physician extender uh, where we're really focusing in on those clinical aspects that we're so good at, right? You think of pharmacists, you think of detailed. Um, We're really good at catching the details, but we're also really good at education, right? We do medication-related education all the time. Um, And specifically, you know, the residency programs that are now being developed for pharmacy are just taking pharmacists to the next level. So we have one or two year residency programs that you can do right after school that help you specialize into different areas of pharmacy. So we've got, um, you know, acute care pharmacists where you can really spend time diving into an internal medicine team um, or other acute uh, pharmacy areas like Oncology. We've got oncology pharmacists who operate inpatient and in the ambulatory care setting. We've got a general ambulatory care residency, um, and then also, you know, like Tyler mentioned, lots of community residencies. Ways to basically take our our uh, retail pharmacists and help them to do more than just that typical what you think of counting pills, but they're really offering services at the pharmacy level um, to elevate patient care and hopefully impact those outcomes that we care so much about, which is making our patients healthier. Um, So that's a really broad overview of kind of what pharmacy can do nowadays, but it's great and it's expanding every single day. We've got tons of board certifications available um, and just so many options to specialize.
2: The other thing I really didn't mention um, is the complexity that we've seen within the medications. So I was in an amazing conversation, I think just last week, but um, we were looking at the timeline of just not that long ago was when we got penicillin. In the scheme of things that wasn't that long ago, where penicillin was kind of the drug, we had maybe a handful of other things that could be used as medications at that point, but there really weren't that many things. And, And because of that, and because of the subsequent drug development and because of the subsequent research and development that happened within the pharmaceutical industry, medications and, and the myriad of ways that we have to approach chronic disease has exponentially gotten more complicated. Um, along with that, we've had an incredible shift to insurance coverage of medications. And so with that, it used to just be cash. And this is, again, in the 90s, you you didn't used to have a pharmacy benefit card, right? It was always just you paid cash for your medications. And then we started to have it overlaid with the complexities of insurance. And most of the significant pain points that we see as it relates to medications have gotten so complex that you really need an expert in this area. You really need someone who speaks the language. You need someone who understands the right questions to ask, the right processes to follow in order to navigate these what have become pretty difficult waters. You you just can't write a prescription and anticipate that it's going to be covered anymore. <laughs> it sadly it's it's uh, you know, there's a lot of complexities as it relates to cost and prior authorizations and and really having a pharmacist and, and highly trained pharmacy technicians in this area can really streamline access and open up doors for patients and limit financial toxicity um, in really meaningful ways. So just a a few of the things that over the last 30, 40 years, we've seen pretty dramatic shifts in who the pharmacist is and what we do.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for that explanation because I think that it really shows, like you said, that progression, like that person behind the soda counter that has four or five bottles that they're handing out for, you know, every condition under the sun to just this immense world that intersects with like economy and chemistry and um, medicine and all of these other sectors. So um I, I love kind of that vision of, okay, we've done this sprint from um, recent history to really changing the way that Um, we think about and can engage with pharmacy as patients and as um, healthcare systems. As we dive a little bit deeper into maybe some different roles of pharmacy than what people might think like for a retail pharmacist, um, can you walk me through how a pharmacist might work in a primary care clinic uh, supporting depression management? Can you walk me through what, what a patient might see in working with a pharmacist there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can take that one. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, I, I don't work in a uh, mental health clinic, but I do work in a cystic fibrosis clinic. And I'll give you kind of the general layout of how it works to integrate my uh, role. So uh, in the cystic fibrosis clinic, we uh, have multiple members of the care team. It's a very uh, interdisciplinary uh, ground for amazingness, I would say. That's not a word, but um, it's wonderful. We have RTS, we've got um, dietitians, we have school counselors, we've got all sorts of members of the team to help uh, really provide a comprehensive service to our cystic fibrosis clinic. So when I started this role in four, uh, about four years ago, really developing this pharmacy program at the cystic fibrosis clinic, uh, you know, the question was, well, how are we going to integrate a pharmacist into the team? What does that look like on the day to day? So uh, what we ended up with after a lot of different trials um, was having the nurse see the patient. So they room the patient. I go over the medications and any allergies that the patient might have. um, And at that time, I do a comprehensive medication assessment. And so that would include drug interaction checks. That would include education on new medications um, that they've recently started or We've been talking about starting for a while, especially in cystic fibrosis. We have lots of very expensive new medications coming out um, that I help patients understand on how they work and how to take them appropriately. Um, And then a lot of cost access issues. We do a lot of um, things related to medication cost and helping patients afford the medications that they're on, right? Because we know that's a huge barrier to patients successfully taking therapies. If they can't get the med, they can't take the med. That's kind of my role within the Cystic Fibrosis Clinic. And after that, then I'll pass off to another team member and then we'll do kind of a a team-based staffing on the patient so that we're all on the same page and we can make recommendations that are really efficient for the patient. Now, when you talk about different specialties, I think that groundwork really applies in every setting of pharmacy. So, you know, if you're talking about a um, depression-related kind of role, you know, I think that med rec is so important. A pharmacist is so good at looking at a medication list and being able to really clean it up. I would say within my first year or two uh, of being in the clinic, I spent a lot of time just cleaning up medication lists because it's amazing how, uh, you know, they can become so big and, and you learn that patients are not really taking all of these medications or uh, some of these medications are not needed anymore. So it's it's nice to clean that up. And then, you know, specifically, we, we talk a lot about drug interactions. Uh, you know, for antidepressants, there are so many out there that we can choose from. And helping patients select the right one for them, that's going to match kind of that side effect profile that they're most okay with, is really a value add, I think. I don't know of a lot of physicians that have a lot of time to spend with their patients to really dive into those specifics. And so what I like to do in clinic is bring them a literal chart up to the different SSRIs and say, all right, let's look at these side effects. What's going to fit for you? Like, are you needing to sleep more, less? What's going on? How is your GI tract already? What can I do to minimize any side effects? We can also do cross tapers on antidepressants. And I think one of the coolest things is that we're really good at follow-up. Um, So if you need somebody to follow up with a patient after you've seen them in clinic and then report back to you of how they're doing, pharmacist is really, really great for that.
2: I think that was going to be my main point right there. And you nailed it at the last part is like access and follow up usually with medications and usually with the way a traditional primary care clinic is run, it might be three months or it might be six months before a patient can get back in. Um, Ideally we would like to see them back in a month, but a lot of times that becomes problematic or we don't have the team to support that kind of rapid follow-up. I think that's been one of the main things that we've seen with pharmacists in a primary care setting is the flexibility that that provides the clinical care team uh, for delegation. And so quarterback or the primary care provider can hand off to the pharmacist. Pharmacists can then take over treatment for a while or follow up. They can adjust medications, um, especially in the setting of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. This is a fine-tuning process, right? And so, and it's well within the scope of our training. So pharmacists are, are. pretty extensively trained on kind of the core disease states between, you know, metabolic conditions like diabetes and hypertension and hypercholesterolemia, but also general mental health. Uh, So anxiety, depression, things like this are, are things that we've been pretty extensively trained for and managing the medications and understanding the side effects and understanding a lot of the reasons that patients might not engage or might not take medications is something that we're really well prepared for. And so working as part of that team going from the initial diagnosis to initial treatment strategy to follow-up to navigating any cost concerns navigating any side effects once the medication has been started helping patients understand the timeline that it might take for them to see an effect um, checking back in on the patients working with the care coordinator care coordinators or the other members of the care team to make sure that that we have folks docked into the right resources like counseling or behavioral health if that's available isn't just a a wonderful example of how pharmacists can kind of round out that that care team and that team-based care approach.
0: That's super interesting. I mean, I guess y'all are making me think about how, especially in you know modern medicine, oftentimes, almost all the time, treatment is a prescription or is a medicine. And, um, you know, that that relationship between a patient and the provider um, it is often a relationship of medication management, but access to that provider can be so low. So when you think about adding in that pharmacist, um, how that medication management um, and support can be um, so beneficial, it seems like, and helps open up that access so people don't feel like they have to do it on their own. I just I just think about, you know, I've had family members that are like, well, I tried stopping this medication or I tried doing this, like people kind of acting as their own providers or their own pharmacists. Is that something that you see as a role for pharmacy as kind of stepping in and saying, hey, you know your body, but we're all to the pharmacist. Let's help you walk through this, right?
2: Well, you raise a, a really interesting point um, about the the relationship between the patient and the provider. And one of the most interesting things in the course of, you know, my practice and experience over the last 10 or 15 years has been um, when you involve a pharmacist on the care team, a lot of times the patients are more willing to dive into details about the problems that they're having with their medications or that they can't afford their medications or that they're giving them side effects that they really can't tolerate. They don't want to disappoint their physician because their physician was the one that prescribed this medication as the way that this is going to heal me. And yet I'm struggling either to afford it or to take it on time, or there's, there's a myriad of things that can get in the way. And for some reason incorporating the pharmacist is like, Hey, we're here to talk about your meds. It opens that door to help patients feel a bit more comfortable saying, yeah, I stopped taking that three weeks ago, or I just doubled my dose or, I thought I was supposed to take two pills three times a day. And all of a sudden we can unwind a lot of these challenges. And then when we come back and, and download all that information with the provider, a lot of times it's just this, you know, amazing patient care moment because the provider had no idea that they doubled their dose or stopped taking the medication or couldn't afford it. And then all of a sudden now we have ways to solve these problems together as a team and get the patient access to the medication that they need. And the, I just countless examples of where that initial conversation with the pharmacist has then allowed the team to take better care of the patient.
1: Absolutely, and I'll just add that I, I see that every day. You know, here in clinic, it's very clear that the relationship that the pharmacist has been able to build with the patient goes so far in this holistic view of their medication and their um, treatment of the disease state. You know, I think about adherence and how a lot of our patients are really struggling to be adherent to their medications lately Um, after COVID. And uh, with the advent of these really highly effective modulators, it's really hard to convince them to do hours worth of inhaled treatments every day, right? You know, we have a really good relationship with our patients where I spend that time to get to know them. I know their dogs' names, I know their kids' names, and that really goes a long way. And it's something that not everybody has the luxury of of doing, but it also makes for very good conversations about adherence and how we can improve that. It also, you know, an example is a lot of times I'm the first one to know on the care team if uh, one of our patients is pregnant because they're calling me to ask about medications and and what kind of interactions there will be, what they shouldn't be taking, things like that. So just, a yeah, just to Tyler's point that there are a lot of examples of how Having that pharmacist on the care team um, can really help with uh, all things medication related, medication potentially other
0: treatment related, right? Like you you talk about pregnancy. All right, here's here's a whole other line of care and treatment that we need to go down. So I I think that that makes sense and. You know, it, it seems like once you guys are talking about this, that there's that pretty easy pathway to have that conversation relationship and disclosure, whether it's side effects or symptoms or affordability, um, to have this really holistic care around a patient when you talk about their medical provider, their pharmacist and other parts of the care team. So, um, but again, we've, we've come a long way from um, the, the white coat um, at, at Walgreens, right, and what I think most people think about. In terms of pharmacy, so as we've been talking, like it's it's very clear that pharmacists have a major role to play in clinical care, not not just kind of dispensing medications. Um, although that's hugely important um, for pharmacists that do fill that role. The other thing that's come up a lot in this conversation is cost, and you know you don't really think about it that much, but we right. we hear all the time about like the cost of medications, the cost of care, Um, people going to Canada to get medications. Um, You said people having to choose between keeping their lights on or paying for medication. Um, So obviously, this is a huge issue. What role can pharmacists play in managing costs for individuals and costs for systems?
2: I think cost of medications is a, a huge challenge that we face. And the United States healthcare system at the moment and there's a lot there's a lot of complexity here um because what drives price and what drives the FDA approvals and and pipeline and and drug development and research and all those things to to simplify it would not do it justice right the way that i have seen pharmacists involved in this uh broad landscape is to to really help inform talk through the evidence, make things as objective as possible, really try to highlight the value proposition associated with a new medication and figure out how we can help position that medication the best way that we possibly can as it relates to, to coverage, as it relates to patient out-of-pocket expense. Um, and that, that plays into affordability and accessibility. The other thing broadly I would say is that a coordinated approach to this process is absolutely vital um you really need an understanding of especially as we get into these medications that are astronomically expensive for rare disease states um you're talking about medications that are 25 35000 dollars per month um, sometimes in the course of a treatment we've got a million dollars in medication and that that sticker shock I don't know that we've we've really wrapped our minds around around the total cost that that we're dealing with in these situations but with these specialty pharmacy medications it absolutely needs to be a coordinated approach between the pharmacies the pharmacists the specialists the patient the care team so that we're using these medications as judiciously as possible and as effectively as possible and that includes like the monitoring and the follow-up and making sure that we're discontinuing medications when it's appropriate to discontinue, that we don't just keep going down a path where we're essentially losing efficacy. There's a point of diminishing returns. Um, or if, if we need to switch gears and change to a different medication, um, we need to do that quickly so that we don't just continue to, to spend really valuable time and resources on medications that are going to be less effective. So, It's a very, very complex situation, um, but pharmacists have been able to fill roles at uh, payers and uh, formulary development and formulary monitoring and helping um, health systems and specialty clinics kind of from very broad strokes all the way down into the the very granular operation make best use of these medications. So, and Sabrina is a good example of kind of the team on the ground that deals with this every day?
1: Yeah. So from that perspective, it's it's really interesting. Pharmacists are in such a unique place to have an impact on cost. So, you know, thinking about kind of the cystic fibrosis clinic and, and how I'm tied in, um, you know, I, I have the collaborative practice agreement to be able to prescribe medications through the cystic fibrosis clinic. And I can literally watch that prescription go from the second I write it to the second it's sent out the door to be delivered to the patient. I have the ability to have my hands on every step of the process. And so having that insight and understanding of how adjudication works, uh, as in how we can build the medication to the insurance company, allows me to to have that intervention quicker to be able to reduce costs. So from the second I send a prescription, I can tell, is this the most cost-effective therapy is this what the patient really needs? And then, you know, down to the to the $30 copay that our patients cannot afford sometimes. I can help them navigate grant funding. Um, I can help them navigate any copay cards or manufacturer assistance that's available. And for our patients and, and a lot of patients, you know, it's sometimes the decision of a $30 copay or more groceries. Um, and so that's something that we really help navigate and help minimize. Um, I think there's also added value in pharmacy that we're beginning to really uh, show is is this invaluable resource of adherence, right? So for cystic fibrosis, showing a greater than 90% adherence to some of our therapies reduces hospitalization risk by 70%. Um, And so that's a huge deal when you talk about money saved. Um, And of course, you have to kind of weigh the cost of the therapies with the cost savings of a hospital admission. But for some of our patients, it's a no-brainer. They're getting admitted you know, every six weeks, and you're reducing it to twice a year, maybe. Um, It's just huge. It's a huge impact. So that's kind of the operational day-to-day way that we can impact cost.
0: And it seems like that's influencing the system totally across the board in a net positive way. That's at an individual level, um, at a cost to the health system, and um, overall quality of life. So I, I don't know. It makes me think my, my four-year-old son is into playing like good guys, bad guys games right now. And I'm just thinking bad guys, pharma bro, good guys, Tyler and Sabrina, Sabrina and all the other pharmacists out there. So I, you said it was complex Tyler, but I'm just going to um, ignore that and distill it down to g- good guys are the um, pharmacists helping us control costs. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. there's some, definitely I, been some <laughs>
2: examples of bad players out there. Right. And that's, that's one of the things that I think is is challenging within a lot of different aspects of healthcare is what gets on the news or what gets held up as an example, especially as it relates to you know drug pricing and manufacturers and PBMs and there's so many factors at play here, and it has become a very political um, a political game as well, and so we're gonna get some you're gonna get some mudslinging in that in that arena
0: no and i think you and i've had some of these conversations before where there's like what you can do at the clinical level and then there's also like pharmacy policy which is a huge space um so Uh, i I don't think we're gonna get too deep into that today that would be a great another conversation but um you know thinking about that sometimes these are levels of interface or interaction at the patient level and then sometimes it's at the state and federal level that's really making a difference in terms of access to medication, which is access to treatment for the majority of patients that are being seen in a healthcare system. I guess one thing that that brings up for me is thinking about, you know, these models of integrated pharmacy. Um, you sold me um, in terms of the value. Um, it, it seems like the bigger systems um, in urban areas and population centers, as as always, will have more access. Um, What does implementation of this model or access look like in rural communities where you might have one or two medical providers or a very small hospital? Um, Is this feasible for them?
2: Yes. It's just about right-sizing the resources. Um, and so what we've been able to do on a, a few different projects is in these very rural areas, sometimes it's a matter of finding allies in community players or community partners. And maybe there's a, a local independent pharmacy or um, a small primary care clinic that would be willing to work with each other. And so maybe the clinic can't afford a full-time pharmacist. And that's understandable. And maybe they don't even need a full-time pharmacist maybe they could use um, a pharmacist a half day a week. Maybe the pharmacist could support remotely. So we can do a lot with kind of hubs and spokes. And so it might be that in a urban setting, you you might have need for a whole team of pharmacists and pharmacy technician extenders. But that also creates the opportunity to do some really amazing peripheral support and outreach, um, sometimes via telehealth, sometimes just via um, remote support via an EHR, or um, there's there's a lot of flexibility. I think one of the things that we have not explored completely because of the concerns we have around compliance and information sharing and and things like that. We we always err on the side of you know of compliance, especially as it relates to to PHI and and HIPAA. But I think those regulations were were put in place to actually facilitate better coordination between healthcare entities and not to put walls between healthcare entities. And so as it relates to collaboration within a healthcare neighborhood, I think there's a lot of untapped potential to put the appropriate paperwork in place that, you know, identifies the relationships and everything, but I have seen, especially in rural areas, where pharmacies and clinics can coordinate and communicate and improve the care for their patients in really innovative ways, without having to break the bank um, and say, "Gosh, we're going to need a you know half a million dollars and a new building." And it's it's really not that difficult to implement these services. Um, you've got to to do some you know really basic analysis to figure out what your resource need would be um, and and start small that would be my suggestion is is if the the initial position is you know part time half day a week there's there's gonna be um, ways that you can just incrementally build into um, something pretty special
1: yeah and I don't have much to add Tyler I think you you really captured it. I'm really excited to see our community, independent pharmacies grow and see how they can um, hopefully evolve over time as, as we're learning, you know, I think a lot of independent pharmacies are looking for that next step and, (laughs) and seeing how they can kind of connect more with their community and have an impact on those patients that they know so well. They have such a good relationship going back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, sometimes they're the first to know about things going on in their patients' lives. Um, so I think they are really positioned well to have a huge impact. I love that. And
0: it it makes sense, too, when you think about rural communities um, where there might be that closer relationship or that more personal relationship between a pharmacist and a patient. Um, it. It's not, you know, going through the drive through at Walgreens, plugging in your information and something going through the pneumatic tube um, to you. It's talking about um, what that medication is, catching up on personal things. And so really getting back into some of that model that you guys have talked about with integrated pharmacy in the clinical setting, um, probably some of that is happening um, within those community pharmacies is just about like setting that up so that there is more partnership as a care team. With that patient, the pharmacist, and the medical provider, um, so I absolutely love that, and uh, sells me on the idea that this this isn't just for big hospital systems. We we love our big hospital systems, but that's not where everybody gets their care. Um, so that's I think that that's encouraging and fantastic. Anything else that you want to share with us um, before we sign off on this conversation?
2: Um, I would just say that I know we've we've talked about kind of the Walgreens model or or some of the big chain stores. I want to emphasize that the practice of pharmacy, even within the context of these big chains, has evolved significantly over the years. And a lot of times that pharmacist is identified as one of the most trusted members of the care team. Even though we don't have the best of communication lines between maybe that pharmacy and the clinic, um, pharmacists in the community setting, I think, uh, have an incredibly untapped potential to be part a more uh, a greater part of this um, broader health neighborhood, um, including the chains, and I and I realize the um, some of the corporate structures that we have that restrict a lot of innovation because it's just the nature of the business. We we see it with you know larger health systems versus independent primary clinics and larger drug chains versus independent pharmacies, um, and it's it's kind of two sides of the, the industry that I think there's advantages and disadvantages in both, in both areas. And so, especially as it relates to the rural and frontier communities, I think, Rachel, you, you said it very well. Sometimes the independent community pharmacy is one of the only healthcare providers in the County. And so they may have a very close relationship with their pharmacist They may see them at the grocery store. They may go to church together. Um, We're talking about a tight-knit community where you already have a lot of trust and a lot of what we talk about on a national level about insight into social determinants of health and how do we know if, you know, they have food insecurity. And these are the types of communications that I think in these rural and frontier settings, it's part of understanding who your neighbor is. And who, who you're rubbing shoulders with at, at the pharmacy and the clinic and the community center. And it for me, this is this is a, a really powerful principle of communities starting to take care of each other and watch out for each other and becoming a more tight-knit group as it relates to our our health neighborhood. Um, and anything we can do to improve those lines of communication and collaboration, especially amongst, like, clinics and pharmacies and behavioral health providers and the counseling center down the street or the community center with the Boys and Girls Club or, or things like that, I think this is all um, moving things in the right direction. And so uh, we're just happy that we had some time to, to kind of talk through a lot of what we're passionate about today um, and how pharmacists can play a role in that in that work.
0: Fantastic. Well, I so appreciate that, and um, I also appreciate the call out that um, those retail pharmacies, your Walgreens, Walmart's, big guys, are aren't the bad guys. As somebody who's four eleven, sometimes like I, I have this complex. <laughs> no, but I I think we it, it's so helpful to think about everybody as being in this partnership model to really help patients and. Um, that historically pharmacy um, hasn't been at top of brain for a lot of people in that model. So I I love that you're elevating that and sharing that and, Sounds like we got a couple of follow up conversations to have Um, hot button politics of pharmacy. I don't know. Uh, Maybe get a bonus episode on how to get my toddler to take her ibuprofen when she has a fever. I I got so many more questions for you guys. But um, I I so appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, And thanks for sharing with our life support listeners. A big thanks to Sabrina and Tyler for their time. Thank you to you all for listening. And please subscribe and remember to provide each other a little life support. Life Support is a podcast developed by See Who, where we talk to providers, experts, and others about their experiences with health and the systems that create it. This podcast music is written and performed by Anthony Leon. The show is also produced by Anthony. For more information, visit us on the web at seehu.org, And remember to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks, everybody.